The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Jonathan Morris, all the way from Hong Kong. He is the host of his own podcast. It's called Zero Waste Money. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome. So you are on the other side of the world from us, and you're going to tell us a little bit about what's going on over there and your podcast, Zero Waste Money, and uh, lots of different things that are all related to zero waste. So I'm pretty excited for that. So you you host Zero Waste Money, and that's on Spotify and Apple Music and kind of everywhere. And what other podcasts do you host? Because I think you host one or two more. Yeah, I host, I host three, actually. Um, wow. My original one, when I first began podcasting, and that's just me chatting uh, about pop culture with my friends. And then the second one uh, is kind of like the second most important. It's talk show style, just more, just like what we're doing. And I sit down with somebody who is having a relationship with Hong Kong, whether it's historical, uh, whether in the catering industry, whether they're an actor. So it's based on their profession as well. And uh, then Zero Waste Money is my newest podcast. But the Hell Off in Hong Kong one has some crossover with Zero Waste Money in terms of I interview people who may be a Zero Waste store owner because we've got a small Zero Waste community here or oh, somebody who's invented a straw, a paper straw that can like last two hours in a cup of whatever you're drinking and mm-hmm. a couple of NGO workers, things like that. So there's a small crossover if anybody's interested. Oh, very cool. And that's funny that you mentioned the thing about the straws getting soggy because that's one of the biggest complaints that I see like online and from people. They say, oh, it gets soggy. You know, I didn't I didn't drink it fast enough or or whatever. So, um, yeah, if people are inventing something that will last longer, I guess then that would be really helpful. So what got you interested in the concept of zero waste? Uh, by accident, really. I mean, I've always wanted to do my bit for the environment, recycle or uh, take a walk, use public transport. I mean, I don't have a driver's license. Um, I used to live in the UK and now I live in Hong Kong. And You know, our cities, respectively, are very small. So I've never needed to need a car. And then just as I was planning to go on a on a trip, my landlord wanted to kick me out of my apartment. I had to move apartments just before I was going on holiday. And it turned out that my, my bed, my queen-size bed, didn't fit the apartment, the new apartment bedroom. And if you don't know about Hong Kong, apartments here super small my current apartment is 400 square feet uh, which kind of pays off really if you're thinking about the environmental impact of you yeah. know our living spaces so yeah. uh, hong kong has got that going for them but i knew that conventional mattresses have they're loaded with chemicals that actually can cause you know cancer and so i ended up buying a wool mattress just simply by accident i found out that owning a wool mattress an organic wool mattress um, meant that I didn't need to use the aircon. Even in the Hong Kong summers, I could just make do with a fan. So I began to save money, and I reckon I've almost paid off the mattress now. So, are so that you, was the first thing. And then the, are, you, again? are you saying that the wool mattress is cooler to sleep on? Like in the right. So oh. yeah, I, mean, I jumped over a bit. So basically, a wool mattress is a better way to dissipate the heat from the human body than a conventional mattress does. Though the foam huh. or latex mattresses. So you can actually stay cooler if you use one of those. Cool. 
I didn't know that. But it's expensive, I would assume. Yeah, Home of Wall, I think. They have an Etsy page and they have a website. Um, their price was comparable to a conventional mattress. Um, the shipping took it over the edge, but it's, it's paid off. And that's part of the basis of doing the Zero Waste podcast itself is, okay, there might be a little bit of upfront work, but you will make some uh, return on that investment or that effort that you're, that, you're, that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's a bit of money to switch to something that's better and that you can reuse. But then you're right, it, uh, it does pay off eventually. I'm thinking like women's products, for example, like a lot of people say that they're expensive, but they actually will save you probably a thousand or a couple thousand dollars over your lifetime if, if you were to, to switch to one of those. So, and you save a lot of money on other things, right? So have you, do you keep track of the money that you save or is this something that you keep bringing up on your podcast um, in different areas? Yeah. So with the podcast itself, um, I only keep track of a few things. One is uh, the electricity. And the second one is the yogurt making uh, that I do because I eat a lot of yogurt for breakfast. I spend about a hundred US dollars a month um, on that. And I've managed to like cut that cost in half. That's quite a bit. Or is it just really expensive? Yeah, there? it's quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, quite a bit of yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> and well, it's, I don't eat I don't eat meat for breakfast. Um, I don't eat cereals. I don't eat carbohydrates. These things aren't always uh, beneficial for you either. Um, and plus, you've got the packaging associated with cereals. Never mind. Yeah. You know, if you if you've got a keto diet or you follow a healthy sort of um, diet anyway, you, you don't want to eat carbs. You want to stay in ketosis. And uh, yogurt seemed the uh, most appropriate thing other than just fruit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cereal boxes are annoying because they have those bags. And I've never seen really anyone who accepts those bags for recycling that's inside the cardboard box. It's like that waxy bag, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that I think that millions of people eat cereal every morning for breakfast, especially children, right? And especially in North America. I don't know in Hong Kong if, they, if that's a big thing that children eat we, for breakfast. Yeah, but they have something called congee as well, so... It's slightly different, but yeah, we have American style or British style, Western style cereals here. Yeah. What's congee? Congee is like a, a rice based, like like porridge. Oh, yeah. They keep it salted. Huh. It's not really, it's not okay for me. It's not good enough, good enough for me, but it's, it's what they eat here for breakfast. Mm. Or they'll just eat bread, which is a little bit disappointing when I ask, because I'm also a private tutor when I'm not podcasting. And so in conversations, I'll say to children, what do you have for breakfast? Well, tell us a little bit more about your yogurt, because I think you've done a whole episode on yogurt, right? Yeah. So yogurt was one of those things where after I bought the mattress, started saving money. We skipped over the solar panels that I bought, um, but I saved a little bit of money on electricity in Hong Kong with the solar panels. And I've rigged up a 200-watt system just outside my bedroom window on the roof. And so those things kind of snowballed, and that's what gave me the impetus to create the podcast. And I started looking at things for my own lifestyle where I thought, okay, where can I save money with something? And yogurt has actually come late into the game um, with episodes. It's, I mean, I'm up to 30 episodes now, so it's towards the tail end. And with that itself, all I did was just look on the internet and just try and find out, well, how do I make my own yogurt? And it's surprisingly easy. Then what do you need? Oh, I don't have a cooker because the apartment is small. I don't have an instant pot. So I'm lim I was limited by the size of my kitchen because a lot of things that come standard in Western kitchens just aren't available in a Hong Kong kitchen. You probably get a hot plate and a sink, and the sink has no guarantee of hot water because they don't they don't do that here. <laughs> what do you mean? Like so, you what? Sorry. 
<laughs> sink. Yeah, yeah. So sink you, where you wash the. Where, where but you're you not guaranteed hot water. In your yeah, apartment. Yeah, in the bath, in the kitchen sink. Yeah, you're not guaranteed because I've been in, I've been in two apartments and they've they're old Chinese style apartments that I live in and they don't have hot water. You got to boil it. What about for your so you shower? Back in time. Oh, the shower has hot water. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just the sinks. It's, Interesting. Uh, it's crazy. So everything has to be boiled. So I had to go and invest in some sort of uh, yogurt maker. Now you can use mm-hmm. like an instant pot. You can use room temperature and put it in a normal cooking pot. Yeah. But because I was trying to follow this zero waste lifestyle, it took me ages to find a yogurt maker that came in glass. Because a lot of fermentation, you do it in plastic. And I, obviously, I don't want to do that. What's the point if I've just bought a wool mattress? So avoiding all those things. I, yeah. I, got, I got the right product that I found. It's by a, I think it's an Australian company called Lovelli. And they can ferment in water with, with a glass container. And cool. once I started doing that, all I needed was store-bought yogurt and then some milk. And then with the milk, what, what I mean, for me, if I'm eating 100 US dollars worth of yogurt, that's a lot of pots I'm throwing away. And as I'm trying to downsize, the yogurt pots sort of stuck out in my plastic recycling bin. I didn't like that. So that's where it came from. But then if I'm going to switch to milk, I need to find milk that comes in glass. So again, it's looking at it systematically, trying to cut down on the plastic waste especially. And now I've just switched to a milk powder from a zero waste store, but it tastes like, well, milk powder, but in yogurt form. So I might go back to the glass bottles. But But there's only one company in Hong Kong that sells glass bottles or milk in glass bottles. Sorry, go on. But I wonder if the powdered milk is heated up and made in plastic. So it might might have like BPA in it or something, you know? I'm always wondering about the upstream production of it because I've went through the same thing that you did. Like I was so annoyed with the yogurt containers and I would buy the biggest ones possible because then it's like less and it's more chance of getting recycled. And I used it in a crock pot. I think you heat it up. I think it goes up to 180 degrees and then you have to bring it back down to 120, the milk, and then you put, you stir in the yogurt and milk, stir it all in, cover it, leave it for like 12 hours, I think, right? Is it 12 hours or 24? Um, It depends on the yogurt strain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was making like a nice thick Greek yogurt and I was getting it. I was getting the milk for it from glass bottles. So yeah, I've been through what you're going through as well. Um, And the, the crock pot that I went, that I use is like a ceramic one. So I'm assuming that's a good one for heating up. Right. Yeah. There's some benefits actually to uh, certain ceramics because they let the, uh, the yogurt breathe. Um, Really? So yeah, it's an ongoing process. I'll look on Reddit because there's this subgroup for, for people who want to ferment stuff. And mm-hmm. I'll just constantly look at, well, trying to refine the process. So just like you, I went with bigger yogurt pots and then then I started fermenting. But then I found out that you can actually buy what are called heirloom cultures. And I explained this in the episode where an heirloom culture will live forever as long as you look after it. So you don't have to keep buying store-bought yogurt. So I went on buying, say, eight liters of yogurt a month So that's eight cartons. And now I'm down. Then I was down to one half liter carton because I could just use that to use that as the starter culture for the whole month. That was great. And then I looked at it again and you discover heirloom cultures, which live longer, basically forever. Again, if you look after it. So now I don't have to buy any yogurt to create yogurt. I've got the culture. You make a batch of yogurt and then you can just take a spoon of that yogurt that you made and... So you can kind of like keep it going that way, right? But you're saying there's an heirloom yeah. kind that's better? Yes, but uh, the, 
but the the snowboard, I mean, there's a, do you have Yeo Valley in Canada? Lee Valley? Yeo Valley, Y-E-O Valley. I don't think so. I've never heard of it. Okay. It's a, it's a British brand. A lot of British foods exist in Hong Kong. So yeah. I, I never get homesick, which is nice. But yeah. those, that kind of store-bought uh, variety can only last a couple of generations. So I could oh. use the yogurt, but obviously I've got to use it all up within a few days because uh, so it's got a, a use-by date. But once you keep that culture, you can probably get four generations out of it if you're lucky. And then you've got to buy new yogurt. That's probably why some of mine didn't work because I would have like a few good batches and then all of a sudden it would just not work. Maybe that's right. why. The, the culture can't, you can't stress it that many times. So wow. I've got, I've got four, but even the fourth one, half of it was just lactic acid because it's just stressed from being fermented, refrigerated, fermented, refrigerated, whereas the heirlooms just live forever. Huh. Fascinating. That I'm sure that that's probably where I was going wrong with that. And then I'm like, oh, I just spent like, you know, $16 on this really expensive glass milk. And and now it's just... I mean, if you want to go really gnarly, there are some heirloom cultures that you can ferment yogurt with at room temperature, say 20 degrees Celsius. You don't Mm. even need to use a crock pot. You know, if you really wanted to go zero waste and save extreme, because you can never, you can always just take it further and escalate the zero waste. But if you didn't even want to use a crock pot, use, you know, electrical energy or, or gas, you could just ferment at room temperature with certain heirlooms and just leave it covered and that's it. It'll, it'll just look after itself, which is crazy. But I can't do it here because the temperature fluctuates so much. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I thought, you know, going back and trying to tweak little things of our lives and stuff, I have an electric coffee grinder and I know there's a hand grinder out there, but I don't want to make my electric grinder waste or like i mean i could put it back into i could donate it to a store or something but i'm just happy with it and it's just a tiny zap of energy right so but one day maybe i'll get a, a hand grinder <laughs> then it'll be very yeah, very and, easier and people follow the examples in in the podcast um what i say to them is you know it, it's okay it's okay to be selfish because i think i do think a lot of mar- a lot of the messaging around environmentalism is kind of not working, especially when we shout facts and figures at people, because the scale in which we're operating, um, it just we just can't relate to it just as much as we know we don't we can't perceive what a thousand years looks like. We yeah. can't perceive the scale in which we're operating, and you know, even even without the media and government manipulation of the, the discussion, it's very hard. And so the podcast just wants to simply say, if you if you listen to these episodes and you just follow these tips, you will you know, make these refinements that will cause you to save money. And that's what's important. And I don't care if I'm playing on people's selfishness, and I don't mean that as a pejorative. Uh, I mean that as, as a positive thing. If you are self-interested, you will look after yourself. And, you know, things do get expensive. Um, and, of course, we don't want to pay for certain things as much as we, as we already do. Or if we need extra money, where can it come from? And you know, maybe we can't work an extra hour and do a little bit of overtime. So if we refine the way we live and the way we consume, we're going to build a little nest egg. And in the process, you're going zero waste, which means you're looking after the environment. So the podcast, even though it's about helping the environment, it doesn't go into great detail about looking after the environment. It's about looking after you, yourself, mm-hmm. and your finances. And plus, cause and effect is narrowed. If I, if I recycle for a month, how do I know the effect of that recycling in towards contributing to helping the planet? Whereas if I go zero waste with, the idea to save money, I can look at my wallet at the end of the month and say, hey, I'm 20 US dollars up. Isn't that amazing? And that's what gives us the sort of uh, Pavlovian response 
keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes people message me and say, this is just for wealthy people. And I'm like, oh my goodness, no, 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 it's not. Because I've cut my grocery bill in half since I started my show. And that's because I'm just eating better, healthier. I'm buying things without packaging and I'm making things right from scratch. So I'm really happy with the money that I've saved that way. The only thing I see as maybe people see the zero waste lifestyle movement as being like pretentious or privileged or anything is that there might be some sort of time privilege to learn about this stuff. And I say that because if you are super, super busy and you're working a job or even two jobs and you have kids to take care of and, you know, everything in your life is crazy and you're trying to survive, like you might not have time to start doing a bunch of research into, let's say, heirloom yogurts, right? Like I didn't even know that existed and, and, and I like that stuff. So I think that that's maybe there's a bit of confusion where people think people have to have money, but you don't because you can save a lot of money this way. And there's lots of that's tricks. True, but that's why we have podcasts for. <laughs> so you can listen to them on the passive. <laughs> yeah, so that people when they're driving yeah, to work, they can they can you know yes. get some of that in, or riding the subway in in your case in Hong Kong, right? Because I think you mentioned that the yeah, you I mean you are right. It becomes like I've learned it becomes a bit of a balance between time and money. Yeah. The, say for example, the yogurt has kickstarted basically a new life for me as a as someone who lives in their kitchen. Because I've started making other foods because of the runoff from yogurt. And then one of my girlfriends said, oh, why don't you make sourdough bread? But because I don't eat bread, I don't really want to make my own bread because I'm now investing time in something I wouldn't ordinarily, ordinarily do. Mm-hmm. So it, I'd just rather just buy sourdough bread and support a local, a local uh, bread maker here. Mm-hmm. So I get what you're saying. Some things I, I just do already or I have the time, but other things I won't go further into. But I know other people could. So exploring that in another episode, uh, you know, is, is going to be interesting. Do you put Especially any? If you want it make bread? Do you put anything? Like do you put anything in your yogurt, or do you just eat plain yogurt? Um, I make it plain Greek style, and then I just flavor it with uh, fruits and some powders. Um, but then the powders, I try to get them in packages that are in glass or zero waste from the zero waste bulk, bulk store. Mm-hmm. I try to. And there's one at the moment that still comes in a bag and I'm trying to find uh, an alternative because it's crushed chia seed. And again, going back to the issue of time, I don't want to crush my own chia seeds and flax seeds because they take ages. So mm-hmm. I'm buying it crushed. But can I buy it in bulk? Is there a waste? Uh, not yet. Yeah. You know, I tried to make coconut milk on my own and I bought a coconut, like just a coconut. <laughs> and yeah. and. I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the show, but I had coconut on my face. Like I hurt myself um, trying to cut it once I had smashed it open finally. I had to go outside and use like a rock and a hammer to try and get it open. And then I cut my finger because I was trying to like cut it in pieces to blend it. It was just awful. And I think someone wrote to me about that and was like, you should just get like do it this way or that way. And I'm like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> like that is too hard. It's right. too much work. It's not for me. I have other things I need to do. So yeah, milk was a, milk was a challenge, but I finally have this thing called an almond cow and it's a machine and you just put nuts and seeds and all that stuff in it and press a button and it takes like, I don't know, 10 seconds or something. And then you have really good milk to pour out. So okay. I finally well, solved my problem. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about Hong Kong, and uh, as you said, we'll get into it in a little bit, is that we have a mix of mix of like high end malls, but really local shops. 
and where I used to live, my neighbors used to collect coconuts. Well, I'm sorry, they used to have coconuts delivered and they would make all these coconut products. And so I could go in there and just buy coconut water, but they would keep the coconut and they would process it for something else because they make coconut oil, oh, uh, coconut nice. milk. And yeah. it was all zero waste, uh, as far as I could tell, very little packaging. Oh, and uh, then they'll just return the husks and then back off or something. But it was like a low, it was like an old traditional Chinese store. And they were just my neighbors. And they, they probably here. had a very good... I could good... buy in a plastic bottle, but buy it from the local shop, sorry? Yeah, they probably had a very good technique or like a machine or something, right? Like they weren't out there like with a rock and yes. a hammer like I was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like good. like two generations old store. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've talked about that um, before too, where like, depending on what grows in your area. So if you guys are growing coconuts near Hong Kong, do coconuts grow in like really close? You'd probably have to bring them uh, in, right? Uh, relatively close, I guess, because we're in Asia, but not, not in Hong Kong as far as I know. I've never seen a coconut tree. Papaya trees, sure. Oh, yeah? Not coconut. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're, so they're imported. See, I think that's what a lot of people don't understand with the whole like meat and dairy is so bad for you kind of movement that we see happening a lot right now is that... In Canada, milk is a way that people survived for a long time because it gets so cold here in the wintertime. Like it's there's a foot of snow on the ground right now and it's early November. So um, cows live in the winter. They survive through the winter and they provide milk and it's a, a good source of protein and nutrition and stuff. And I know that it's going the wrong way in factory farms and that's why people are getting so upset about it. But we don't have coconuts. We can't grow coconuts here. You know, we can't grow almonds, right. make almond milk. So these are just things that have naturally evolved because of the geography and the climate of the area. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Hong Kong because I think that's very cool. And I've definitely never been there. I've never been to Asia actually at all. So what is... That's a shame. <laughs> one day. Yeah, one day. So, so Hong Kong itself, for those that don't know, is it's a, it's a very compact city. There's like seven and a half million people living here. Switzerland by itself has eight and a half million people. But imagine seven and a half million people in the land space of, say, actually, Hong Kong is 100 times, 110 times smaller than New York State. So it's wow. pretty dense. Oh, um, wow. There are some benefits to that. But in that density, 75% of Hong Kong is actually country parks. It was something that the British sort of mandated when they were here. They were said, well, you've got to keep these country parks. So there's a lot of wildlife. I mean, really? well, my bedroom window now, uh, there's a jungle outside. And... You know, I'm five minutes away from wild pigs and hundreds of butterflies. I've never, I never lived oh. in a city where there's so many butterflies. It's a small detail, but it just contrasts with the idea that Hong Kong is a massive city or a big city, and yet it's surrounded by jungle. Oh, that's so good. Um, I did not know that. <laughs> the country parks and the hiking is sort of like the, the hidden gem. People don't realize. They just see the city, and they don't realize that it's just 25% of the region. That's it. Yeah. You said that the subway system is like really amazing there, right? So people don't really need cars too much? Uh, yeah. So car ownership is about uh, between 10 to 15%. Everybody else uses the public transport, whether it's the buses or the metro system. Um, oh my gosh, that's really I low. Of social media. Hmm? That's so low. That's really low. I'm going to look up what it is in Canada because I feel like in Canada, it's probably like 90% or something. Like 10 okay. to 15 <laughs> is so low. I, have, I do a lot of social media elsewhere. And then I sometimes some people are motivated to come here. And when they come here, they say, oh, the trains here are better than the ones even in Europe. And that's actually true. The trains here are, you know, every two or three minutes, it's cheap because the metro system is subsidized because the corporation that runs the metro system, they also own the land. So they build properties on top of the MTR stations. Ooh. So that's not something that happens in other non-Asian countries so much. 
So mm-hmm. they can subsidize the rail travel because they want everybody to get around, obviously, because they own the malls and the residential areas. So even though Hong Kongers pay a lot more in rent, we do have cheap travel. Mm-hmm. So that's all very you know low waste and great, especially with the car ownership. Um, and plus, we for a few years, we were the world leader in Tesla ownership. There was more Tesla drivers here. But as we get into the discussion about the government, the government killed the tax subsidy for electric car ownership. And then all of a sudden, everybody stopped buying Teslas, mm. which shows, again, that you know we are self-interested and we aren't just going to spend money on an electric car just for the sake of it. Yeah, People were buying it because of the tax incentive, mm-hmm. um, which was really sad. But it, it did illustrate, you know, uh, rational, kind of rational human behavior. Um, they didn't want to buy a Tesla if it was just the same price as a normal car, mm-hmm. um, which in itself I don't understand anyway. Because so they you, the same price and one of them. So it was a national. It was a national thing, and then you guys got rid of it and didn't bring it back. So there's no incentive anymore. Well, uh, no, it's just particular to Hong Kong again because Hong Kong. Okay, so Hong Kong is in China, but it's not integrated into China fully. So politically, it's distinct. Has its own currency. Uh, you need a different visa. Um, this is all these little things. And so whatever policy happens in Hong Kong doesn't translate into China and vice versa, mm-hmm. which which is kind of sad because Hong Kong sits right next to China. And yet China does so much for the environment. Um, in my show notes, I, I wrote down that at one point China was converting their bus fleets and they could turn over the size of a, but London has 9000 buses and they could churn through and convert 9000 buses every six weeks to electric. And there's a city just an hour away from Hong Kong. Um, but and what are they? Time, but all their buses are electric. So again, what are the buses plugging into? Are they plugging into coal? Uh, they could be. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But China has the world's largest uh, solar industry. So some mm. of that is going to be renewable energy. Yeah. But China uses a lot of coal, um, don't they? Yes, they do. I'm not going to greenwash uh, China's efforts, but... There's another podcast called Waste Not, Why Not? And they broke down the, the metrics of electric car ownership to um, conventional cars. And electric cars, even if they run off coal, they still come out more environmentally Cleaner. friendly. Yeah, and I think that it also cleans the air um, quite a bit for, for like yeah, downtown yeah. centers and stuff like that. So it's better for people's health. Yeah, and- so there's less rubber being rubbed uh, off the, from the tarmac into the air as well. So you're not breathing, you know, cancerous uh, elements from the rubber. Yeah. So I looked up that stat oh. and I just want to I just want to point this out. So you said 10 to 15 percent car ownership in Hong Kong. In Canada, it's about 87 percent car ownership. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's so dense here. And I know Canada is so expansive. Not dense. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's we need, <laughs> yeah, you have to drive a long way. Opposite of Hong Kong. Um, yeah. So you don't you don't really need a car here. Uh, I mean, one good thing is that Hong Kong tries to limit car ownership by if you buy a car, the tax on the car is like 115% of the value of the car. What? So you can see why Teslas were considerably cheaper because you didn't have to pay that tax. Um, but now they've changed their wow. policy, uh, supposedly because of lobbyists. But now they're saying if you get rid of your car, you can get a Tesla at a discount. If you get rid of your conventional car, you get a uh, Tesla at a discount. Um, so all that effort from in China where they're converting bus fleets doesn't rub off here. and here, the bus companies are owned by, uh, well, it's, it's been a little bit of cronyism, um, but they say, oh, our buses can't be converted because Hong Kong is very hilly and the batteries can't push or they won't last long enough to get the bus up the hill and then back down the hill. Like, okay, that's a shame, um, but you can go an hour away and everything's electric. 
Um, you can even buy a car in China now that's like nine thousand US dollars, two seater. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what they're doing there, and then it's infuriating that we can't have it here, especially when the roads here are the old British-style roads where they're narrow, they're windy, and yet in China, they're three-lane, three-lane highways going each way. Mm-hmm. You know, which, which, which city streets are going to be more congested? It's ours. So, it's a shame. And we don't have bus lanes here, and yet 90% yeah. of us are using public transport. But they are the, the they streets, any... are they crowded with cars? But, um, they can be, yes. Yeah. Uh, but, but Hong Kong is always building new roads. They just recently built a road that goes outside of the uh, Hong Kong island. So it, so they just skip the city and you can just drive around the city, but over the water. Uh, or they'll build uh, roads underneath the city. So it's very three-dimensional, something that Elon Musk wants to do with his Hyperloop thing. But we have, you know, that three-dimensionality to our roads here um, it's because it's so compact. Um, but they are aware. They, we have a with this new road. Supposedly, they calculated that there'll be less carbon in the city, and we've got this uh, state-of-the-art air purifier which cleans the uh, the tunnel of all the toxins. Um, so they are doing some things, but again, they're not doing the typical things that we would see in the West, which is the bike lanes and the bus lanes. They mm-hmm. want to give you know all traffic the same sort of priority, I guess. I would love to see a Hyperloop come between Toronto and Montreal. I think that would be really amazing. I hope to see that one day. Yeah. Because it's a pretty cool concept. Point of comparison, um, London has 200 buses, electric buses, and that's the biggest fleet in Europe. And they converted two of their bus routes to electric, and that made the news. And they're going to buy another 78. And that's, that's London all by itself, but city across from Hong Kong. All their thousands of buses are now electric, and again they com- they were converting them every six weeks. You know, the size of London's bus fleet every six weeks in China. So the scale here is is, is magnificent, but it's, like I say, it's not rubbing off mm-hmm. so much here. In terms of recycling, we have recycle bins, but inside that amazing metro system, if I have a piece of trash, first bin I'm going to encounter is the normal bin, and if you go to that normal bin, there's a sticker saying, "Well, the recycle bins are over there." And it's like, well, why don't you just put the recycle bin where this <laughs> conventional bin is? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it always seems to be a second thought, and it's literally playing out like that. It's always a second thought. Um, and with the whole, uh, you know, China refused plastic. Mm-hmm. Do you remember they refused plastic from America and Canada? And yeah, it was now a very big deal. Ship the plastic. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, it's a it's a uh, very big deal. Like, what are people going to do? People don't realize how not valuable their plastic yogurt cups are, you know? <laughs> so, right. yeah, we've so that, got a problem. So that in itself affected Hong Kong, but you wouldn't think it is. Or it, it would affect Hong Kong because we're in China, but it did. And even Hong Kong's plastic trash was refused. Yeah, so you, you probably would have been sending your plastic there, right? Like, Hong Kong would have been sending yes. their plastic to maybe China or Philippines or something? Uh, yeah, but, but where do, I think Hong Kong is planning to build an incinerator, which people mm. are saying you shouldn't build an incinerator. And they want to build it just next to this beautiful island where people live. Yeah. Like, okay, it's away from the main island, but what about these poor people? They're not literally poor. I just mean poor is and they're going to suffer. Uh, why are you going to build it there? And their solution is to throw it to the landfill or just put it in the incinerator, which, yeah, it's not. It's just things here are always out of date in terms of we've had that conversation in the west and when hong kong wants to have that conversation they start talking about the talking points that were in the west 15 years ago it's like no you could skip ahead and 
do what China does at least. <laughs> they don't seem to want to do it. And I think it's to protect the profits of, uh, and this is a general statement, but protect profits of a lot of companies that exist here who, because it's supposedly, air quotes, a free market, they don't want to upset the, the profits that they can make. Even texture packs, you can recycle those in Europe, but they won't, they won't implement a policy here to force companies to uh, recycle their texture packs. Even if the company is already in uh, Europe, they, won't, they don't need to do it here, so they won't. So you need true government action, and, and because there isn't, that kind of attitude percolates down into the Hong Kong people, so, where they also, you know, don't put their nose up at environmentalism. But as far as they're concerned, it's not not their problem, and I yeah. think that everyone should be invested in it. What did you mean by you're not doing what China's doing? So you said America was having this conversation. I think about incinerators like 15 years ago, and then you said we're not doing what China's I'm, doing. I'm speaking, what do you I'm speaking generally. So the idea that. Uh, any environmental initiatives that have been done in, in the West mm-hmm. aren't being taken seriously here, and they're just saying, "Well, we can just we can just build an incinerator," and it's like, "No, how about because because if you build an incinerator, who's paying for that? The government. Whereas if you create policies where the companies have to be more responsible, then they would have to pay for it. But like Instead say in Europe, the taxpayers, they have, those yeah. same companies have to recycle the tetra packs. So they've already solved that problem. But here, everyone uses tetra packs. And then they just throw it away and they don't realize that that isn't actually recyclable because there's like three or four different components to that packaging. They don't don't know about it. I don't know how they recycle them here, but I know they are recyclable. And there's a big like carton association that kind of monitors it. And we can put Tetra Packs in our recycling here, but I'm not sure what's going on there. Because, yeah, there's a lot of layers, right, to to take apart. Yeah. I'm not sure what's happening yeah. there. But yeah, incinerators are interesting because you're right. Um, 15 years ago in Canada, they were proposing a lot of them and they said no. And so we don't do that. We've got lots of landfills. Uh, there are some incinerators in Canada. I think that they are very well um, monitored and filtered, I hope. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> alternatively, I don't think the landfills are that great. And I know the argument that if you if you build it, they will come. <laughs> it's like from Field of Dreams, I think, from that movie. But it's, yes. if you build the incinerator, then it, it theoretically, it gives people an excuse to produce more garbage and waste resources because you know it's just right. going to go away. What it, it, it reduces at least by two-thirds or more into ash, but then you have to deal with the ash and it could be toxic. So there's a lot of issues with incineration, but to me, it's better than landfill because then we don't get the leachate contaminating the water. We don't get like methane pumping out into the air. Uh, But of course, the answer is what you and I already know and what we're doing. And that is like to try and live close to zero waste and try not to produce waste in your business cycle or your home or at your office or wherever, if we can just reduce things that we don't need and and reduce waste, then I think everything's going to be a lot better. And people aren't going to suffer by if these crazy regulations come in. Like if we keep going like this, like let's say we hit 2050 and it's true, there's more plastic in the ocean than fish. Like the whole world is going to be covered in a layer of plastic. Like it's, it's insane how much we use and how much gets thrown out. Like it's going to have to be regulated um, at some point. I just hope it doesn't make it to that point. But I feel like we're getting there really closely. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll I mean, see. It's not all doom and gloom in Hong Kong. There are there are certain Good. companies that are advocating for wooden utensils like knives and forks, or mm-hmm. um, they are not providing straws anymore. Oh, good. Um, so that's good. But then 
people here because of this mixed environmental message from the government. They don't really, they don't really, they can just, they just get upset if they can't have their creature comforts, just like anybody would, I suppose. But in mm. Hong Kong, it's, I I would think some others would agree with me living here that it's more extreme here because there's a lot of privilege being a Hong Konger because you can, you can as a woman, not need to work because your husband can just uh, earn enough for the apartments and the woman has a lot of free time. Um, but but I, again, as, as a private tutor, I travel around and I do... So it's, what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to be sexist by any definition, but when I do travel to different homes to teach kids, mm-hmm. there is always the housewife there. And when we get into conversation, they say, oh, I don't, I don't work or I work part-time. But at the same time, they also have a maid. And so when you watch these viral videos in Hong Kong where someone's getting upset because they haven't got a straw, you you can see that there's a little bit of, well, I am rich, but... I also don't want to make those necessary changes anyway. I want my straw in this particular example. Or why should I do zero waste when the government is going to look after the environment for me? We've offloaded it onto the government and they're not active in that process. And going zero waste here, some people just take a distaste to it. Um, but at the same time, these people will go to Chanel or Dolce Gabbana and go out of the way to buy that bag because this is a very materialistic culture. And they, but on the flip side, they won't, they won't, you know, make the effort to maybe bring a container or make sure they'll, you know, or that back. R- rinse it out, you know, rinse out their plastic container or something so that it's like clean. Right. I, I find that, that's um, above take a lot of culture people. here is very big because again, the kitchens here are very limited. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of plastic waste. Mm-hmm. Um, but to go back on the domestic, uh, so if you don't know, um, Hong Kongers uh, have a lot of inside house help called a domestic worker and they basically cook clean and look after the family's kids to offload all those chores from the obviously the husband and wife but they don't they have that help but they still don't want to do anything it's, it's, it's kind of gnarly and it's relative to their environments as well so but that would just be that's a class thing right worker. that would Say just again? that would just be the upper class though of hong kong right or is this like a no, lot of hong no, no, kong no, it's to own, own, that's a Freudian slip. To, have a, to hire a contract, to hire someone is only going to cost you about 500 US dollars a month. And then you pay for their, you pay for their healthcare and they'll get a food budget, which is probably another 200, 250 US dollars. So for 750 uh, US dollars, you could have someone live in, be a live-in maid. It's, it's wow. not a lot, especially if it enables the lower classes to then work more also. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, uh, lower class people who do have a domestic worker. That's really interesting because when I looked into, I couldn't afford it at the time. When I looked into getting a nanny eight years ago, I remember there was a rule in Canada. It's probably gone up now, but you couldn't pay anyone less than sixteen hundred dollars a month. That was like the bare right. minimum, and yeah, you had to like provide all these things. But um, yeah, it was a lot more, a lot more money than that. That's for sure. So they have this extra help, but then they don't want to. I mean, it's a generalization, and obviously the truth is always somewhere in the middle. But there are enough people out there that you know, oh, you have this extra help, but then you won't do anything uh, environmentally uh, friendly with that help, which to me is a very privileged position. Yeah, if you have, if you have, you know, women that are not having to work that are staying at home. And, you know, this kind of throws my theory out the window because sometimes I wonder about – you know, my my mom and and grandmother's generation, well, they, they work, but they also stayed home a lot to take care of kids, and it was more of their job back then. Uh, so I had this theory that, you know, women maybe aren't providing the childcare and food 
for their families that they used to. Now corporations are doing it. So instead of a woman staying home and and cooking everything and making these nutritious meals, everyone's just reliant on corporations. Like you just go to the store and get something from Nestle, right. you know, that and, and bring it home. And then everybody's being fed that way. And I always wonder about that. Like it's not as healthy for one thing. Um, but, you know, maybe if this society changed so that only one person had to work that was in a couple, like maybe they would not go back to providing healthy food. <laughs> like maybe we're past that point where they they yeah. would just keep buying not, the packaged food. I don't know. That's kind of disappointing. Yeah, without I guess. freedom, they're not they're not uh, they're not providing those things that probably earlier gener- later generations sorry earlier generations yeah what our grandmothers would do because they had the time because the, the husband would typically work like yeah. in the West and our grand- don't really see that anymore in the West. You, both parents have got to work. Mostly, hasn't, yeah. That hasn't happened yet in the same way. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's very rare, I would say, if there's a parent that stays home nowadays, yeah. in my experience. But but my mom's generation, like, she stayed home and, you know, neighbors did and stuff like that. So I've definitely seen it and be – and I was a part of it. And we ate really healthy food because of it and got to play sports and do all these activities and stuff. So it was interesting. Um, but that I guess yeah, again the kitchens k- kitchens limit it, limit people's uh, you can only operate in the environment you have so if you've got a small kitchen you, as a woman or as, even as a husband if the husband's staying at home um, you're not going to be able to use the full facilities of a kitchen that we would be associated with in, uh, in the West so it's it's a shame and the companies have obviously stepped in uh, we have like more coffee shops here than anywhere else in the world I think on a per capita basis oh yeah so buying disposable coffee cups or tea on coffee in, in coffee cups is, is quite easy um, and oh. a shame as well. Oh, it's such a shame here. Yeah, it's a big problem in Canada. They're all over the road. I live so far from town and they're all over my country road, these Tim Horton cups that end up yeah. everywhere. They're everywhere in our country. It's a big pollution thing. But we're running out of time and I wanted to ask you about the cats yeah. because you have a, an episode about oh, yeah. your your cat. So can you tell me a little bit about cats and zero waste and, and you've come up with a couple of solutions, sure. right? Yeah, so I did a I did an episode recently um, this year after my cat died, and it got me thinking because once the cat died, I was obviously not spending money on my cat anymore, and I was saving money, and so I'm in that mindset where I'm looking at everything in that way. So I don't want to be disrespectful to my cat Milo, but once he once he was out of the way, <laughs> I was saving about forty fifty US dollars a month. But then it got me thinking, oh, I can make an episode out of this, and what else could we do? in terms of um, going zero waste with pets. Now, I understand that we're limited by time, and I understand we're limited by money, and the podcast helps. But, I mean, we, like I say, we can never, we can always just take it further and further and further. We could just not own a pet. But I'm not going to say that because pets are emotional support creatures for us. They're a big support. Um, yeah, they really are for people. Definitely. Right. So, so in the episode, I talk about how you can minimize the, like, the waste of a cat, uh, some of the food products that you can buy for cats. And there's always stores here in Hong Kong, or if you're lucky anywhere in the world to have one, then they're a great alternative. But then what do you do with the waste? And that's, that's a really difficult question to to sort of answer. And if you go out, like I use Reddit as a resource, and people are always arguing about, should you flush it? Should you not flush it? There are products that encourage you to do it, but there are others that aren't. But then cats can also get um, blood disease, toxoplasmosis, yeah. and the refineries that process all our waste can't extract, can't separate it, and then that goes into the ocean. So you affect like sea lions and things like that. 
Um, but then other people will say, well, my cat is a house cat and it hasn't got the infection. So should I be allowed to throw the waste in the toilet still? But then cat poop is drier than human waste. So there's all these variables. And I, I, I try to sort of sit in the middle and say, well, you could do it, but beware of it. Don't do that definitely. But there are some circumstances where you might be allowed because we can throw cat waste outside. Cats have been around for years, so they've been pooping somewhere. And now that humans are here and we've got these waste you know, refineries and we're living in this environment, now we're saying, oh, but you can't process poop. It's like, really? I mean, how different? I mean, think of all the human waste or the variety. Of, well, don't think about it, but <laughs> humans create a lot of different waste. There's a variety of it, but the processing plants can sort that out, but not cat waste in particular. Then we've owned cats for so long. Oh, do we really know? We've got to we've got to contact these companies that own the, the waste facilities and say, okay, what's your policy on on cat waste or the the idea of just throwing cat waste away? Because what am I supposed to do with it rather than just put it in the bin and that goes to the landfill, which at some point has to go back into the ocean. So we're just delaying it. So it's an episode where you really have to look at owning a cat and say, okay, if I really care about going zero waste and saving money, of course, then what do I do with this cat poop? Do I teach the cat to sit on the human toilet because there's a product that exists? And if yeah. it does, and that, and that gets me thinking, if that product does exist, then why has anybody complained about it? Why has there been a PSA to say, hey, you can't put cat waste in the toilet? You know what I'm saying? It's like a contradiction. There's a product that exists that encourages a behavior that supposedly we're not supposed to be doing. And mm-hmm. if we're not supposed to be doing it, then why is that product for sale? Yeah. So there's a lot of ambiguity there. And I, that episode is a sort of launch pad into getting cat owners or dog owners to some extent to think about how they look after their pet uh, in terms of, you know, waste. minimizing their waste. Yeah, yeah. I finally found out that our the pet store in my town takes back these bags and has a recycling program because the plastic bags, I was sending them into the recycling and I was buying the biggest one possible. So always if you're trying to reduce waste, it's good to go with, with the biggest packaging. And uh, I found out that they're not the kind of bags that the recycling facility wanted, even though they were taking them. So there's a new place that I can send those. And luckily my cat goes outside all summer. And so do my dogs. And I've trained them. See, I have a yard, which is so different than living in an apartment. But I train them to go to the outside edges of my yard uh, for their waste. So I did that just by picking up a shovel and putting the waste where I wanted them to go. And for some reason that really helps them like kind of get used to it. But then also I praise them so much. So if I see them going on the outskirts of the yard, then I give them a lot of praise. And if they go somewhere in the inside of the yard where I don't want them to go, I just scold him the whole time he's going. <laughs> it's so weird. But it it worked. And, and now I don't have to clean it up um, for my one dog. And then I have a puppy that I'm training uh, to do the same thing. So that's... Um, that's how I do it. And then in the winter, of course, when it's super cold, the cat will come in and then use the litter box. And so I use these newspaper pellets. They're like pelletized newspaper. So for yeah. one, we're recycling newspaper, which is good. And number two, that will go away eventually. So then again, I go to the outside of my yard and I have a pile there uh, that I'm that I'm just sort of leaving there and it's kind of going away on its own. So I sort of have a zero waste pets but well, it's a height of privilege to own a garden in hong kong so you're very lucky <laughs> yeah here it's like it's just it must be so different um, but it sounds very beautiful it, there i just thought it was this massive giant city you know i didn't know that there were no, gardens 
if, if you own a lawnmower in Hong Kong, you've made it. <laughs> cool. Well, there's so much to know, hey, about the other side of the world. I just wanted to ask you one more question about anything that you've sacrificed while you're reducing plastic. Like, is there anything that you miss or anything like that? Or are you like really happy oh. where you are? Um, I am really happy. I'm, I'm, I'm very, because I, re- I know plastic isn't being recycled. So it's on my conscience. I don't want people to think it's all about the money with regards to the podcast and my, my ethos. I really want to do it out of selflessness as well. But sometimes, and this, so this is where the selfishness comes back in. Sometimes I've gone to the store and there's something I want to buy and I forgot my container or it's, or it, the container doesn't even go fit into the equation. I thought, oh, I really want it, but there's a plastic bag. It's wrapped in plastic. What do I do? And I just go mm-hmm. without. That's the only sacrifice. I will make that decision and say, I'm not buying it. Oh, or good. I'll walk back home to pick my container up to then go back out. I will make <laughs> that decision. That's the only sacrifice. Everything else um, has been alleviated because I've looked for non-plastic solutions. It can be done. You've just got to, you know, spend the time to look for it. And again, mm-hmm. Hong Kong is so dense. I don't have to tr- get in the car and travel somewhere. I just go to the supermarket or use the amazing public transport. So I understand my position and my privilege as well in this in this conversation. So I don't want people to be upset and say, well, yeah, well, you live there and the shop is just five minutes away. Um, I can sh- I can literally shop around and find the non-plastic alternative and go without if, if need be. So no, I haven't sacrificed anything at all. Well, that's good that you have you have uh, access to to shops like that because in Canada we have the bulk barn all across the country. So a lot of Canadians have access to shopping in bulk in our own containers, which is very wonderful. A lot of the butchers here will just give you meat in your own container. They're very nice about it. But I know that a lot of people in the United States don't have those bulk stores or they don't have yeah. the, the grocery stores that will let them use their own containers. So I think – it's probably maybe it's the biggest struggle in America, um, as opposed to other countries, yeah. to to go zero waste. I'm not sure. I mean, because I've been to some other countries where you can get a lot of natural food, and I think when people are entrepreneurs and stuff, they would be more likely to let you use your own container than like a big a big yeah. corporation or something with rules and all that stuff. So that's why the yogurt one is so appealing because you don't have to bulk buy; you just need the island culture and just buy milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't buy you wouldn't both buy milk anyway. So that's that's probably the most accessible one for people to do. They want to save money and help towards the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people really bugged me on Instagram about making yogurt. They're like, "How how can you have milk? It's so bad for the environment." And you know, haven't you seen Cowspiracy on Netflix? And I was like, "Yes, I've seen Cowspiracy, but our cows are not raised like that. Like the like." Our milk does not come from yeah. factory farms. Our like I I live near cows. I see the cows outside all the time. They are living their absolute best life. It's part of a natural cycle. That's where their the milk comes from that I get, and I'm okay with that, you know. But some people were really mad at me for making my own yogurt. <laughs> so that was like okay. a little weird. <laughs> One, uh, because you said you're near the end. I just wanted to share. I'm going to share a link with you. Uh, yeah. I'll send it to you via private messaging. But it's from a, another zero waster who saved five and a half thousand US dollars by going zero waste in one year. Oh, and good. she's got a better itemization of how she did it. Oh, good. Uh, I'll send it to you and you can put it in the show notes if you want. Cool. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's uh, you can you can save money. You can save a lot, I think. And like I said, I cut my 
grocery bills in half. And I'm very happy with that. And also I'm so much healthier now. Like I barely ever get sick, which is very nice because I used to get sick quite a bit with just yeah. like flus and colds and stuff. And now I'm I'm a lot better because I'm I'm paying attention more of what I buy and, and what I bring into my home. So cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's unbelievable how much we've offloaded when we when we buy something, we don't realize either the health consequence, the financial consequence to, to purchasing it. And then when we take that control back and make it ourselves or source it ourselves, you get all these other benefits. And it's not just about the environment. It's about your own bodily environment and the environment that lives in your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things involved. It's it's a very good thing to bring into your life, zero waste. Uh, it It really hits you in a lot of aspects. And yeah, I'm very, very happy with it. So, well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for coming on the show. And uh, I really appreciate this. And so if you want to check out his podcast, it's called Zero Waste Money. I've heard some of the episodes and they're really awesome. I really like the cat episode too. That was very cool. <laughs> so, so thank you so much, Jonathan. Okay. Got it all worked out. Thank yeah. you all. Okay. Bye-bye. Did you know you can now find our episodes on YouTube? If you have a YouTube account, please like, subscribe, and comment on there. And if you haven't given us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, please do so. It helps the algorithms push our show up in search results, which means more people will discover the show and more zero-waste solutions will be shared around the world from our amazing guests that we've had on the show. I'm a volunteer at my local college radio station, and I don't make very much money, so if you have a few bucks to spare each month, you can sign up and be a patron on Podbean. There's a little reward button you can click on there. I'm also on Patreon, but I want to keep all my content free for everyone instead of putting it behind a paywall, so... You also can donate directly on the show's website, zerowastecountdown.com. We are a registered nonprofit in Canada called the Zero Waste Countdown Initiative. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks to our listeners in America, Canada, Germany, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Spain, and wherever else you're tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.